And uh, we're going to be getting a, a little a section of Scripture, and I've called it Pray Like This, and we're going to look at some different things on praying like this. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, the first few words of verse 9. You think you can make it? All right. You, you, you could probably memorize what we're, going to, what we're going to be looking at today, so you want to be turning there. People are interesting. What they think about God or God the Father is very interesting, if you've ever noticed things. A study done earlier this century, there were four views of God. That's what there were or that people had mainly. 31.4% of the people believed in an authoritarian God. Have you ever heard of that? What that, what that means is they, they saw God as a God who was angry, an angry God, angry at humanity's Sin. That was the, the largest percentage. 23% of the folks believed in a benevolent God. Well, what does that mean? A God who is forgiving and accepting of anyone who repents. I like that. Do you like that? And then uh, 16% believed in a critical God. This view of God was uh, a, a God who eyes judgment on the world, a God who's not going to intervene, whether to punish or comfort. He's just critical and judgmental. And then 24.4% believed in a distant God, and I've heard of that since I was a little kid. This is the view of a God who's more like a cosmic force. You ever heard of that? He launched the world and left it spinning like a top. Interesting. Furthermore, I want to share something that's very current, a recent Gallup poll. 81% of Americans said they believe in God. I don't know about that, but that's what they said. Okay, maybe they believe different than me. The sad part is that it's down from 87% in 2017. In fact, this 81% who say they believe in God in some way, shape, or form, it's an all-time low for the Gallup poll. 42% say God hears prayers and can intervene on a person's behalf. Are you hearing that? Only 42% believe that God hears the prayer and intervenes. Well, that's what I, did you believe that? God, God intervenes in my life all the time. God answers my prayers all the time. Now, it's not always yes, Lamar, whatever you want. It can be no, it can be wait, it can be hey. Come over here. There's something else here for you. 28% of all Americans say God hears prayers but cannot intervene. And 11% think God does neither. Well, Lamar, where's the 100% there? Well, remember the rest. The 19% don't even believe in God. Don't even answer the question. Interesting to think about those things, the world in which we live the country in which we live, and perhaps it's very timely for us to study the Lord's Prayer, or more precisely, the model prayer of Jesus. We were going to spend a few Sundays doing this, taking a closer look at this portion of the best sermon ever. Have I convinced you yet that this is the best sermon ever? Matthew chapter 5, and we're into 6, and buckle up when we get to chapter 7. Oh my goodness, it's the best sermon ever. And right here, Jesus spends some time looking at something very interesting. 
the model prayer of Jesus. Notice in verse 9, though, it, it, it starts in some translations with the word therefore. And, and I was told years ago, uh, studying the Bible, when you see therefore, what do you do? You ask what it's therefore. So let's not forget the context we just came out of last week, okay? Jesus reminded them and us how not to pray. He reminded us how to pray. And you will remember the great encouraging promise that we received was this, that God our Father knows what we need before we even pray or even ask him. And I say that is fantastic. That is very fantastic. So we're going to read uh, verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read in a different translation today. It's a little bit more like perhaps what you learned as a child or have memorized. Slightly different, but it's New King James Version. So let's look at verses 9 through 13. And we'll start with 9a as we talk today, okay? In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? And God, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are our Father. God, we acknowledge that you are not some cosmic force that just created and wound up the world and you just let it go and we're just spinning like a top until we fall over. God, we acknowledge today that you are our God. You are holy and you are living and you are actively involved in lives and in our lives and you hear our prayers. And today we pray that you would speak to us through your scripture, through the truth from your word, and we thank you, God, for how you touch us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So let's, stop, let's start with something that hardly any of you memorized. If you were a kid growing up, you memorized, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Uh, it, it's, verse 9 starts with something else. Did you catch that? In this version, it says, Therefore, do not be, excuse me, <laughs> in the same manner, therefore, pray. Literally, if we took the biblical uh, language here, it would be close to something like this. You then pray like this. I know that doesn't fit English perf perfectly, but that's literally what we would be reading there. You then pray like this. And so point number one is simply pray like this. But we must talk about what that means because some people have gotten confused what pray like this means. Now let's get a little more context. We find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, we get just a little more about this scene as, as Jesus is getting ready to give the model prayer. Luke 11:1. 1, let me read it for you. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, so remember Jesus is praying, he's finished, they're there, they're observing, and one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples. You remember John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus? He had taught his disciples to pray. And so one of the disciples does the same thing. Lord, teach us to pray. And I want you to notice anything. Notice something in, in Luke 11, but here also in this passage, 
Jesus immediately responded to the request. That wasn't always the case, was it? Sometimes people died before Jesus got there or responded to the request for healing, right? But here, Jesus immediately responded to the request. And I think it's important for us to note something as we think about you then pray like this. Let us note something. The prayer that was given to show the disciples how to pray, how they should go about praying, not the words they should pray. Are you hearing me? This is how to pray, not the words to pray. By commanding his disciples, pray like this rather than simply pray this. Have you noticed that? Jesus did not say pray this. You will not find that. If you do, show me that Bible because they, they got it wrong. It's pray like this, not pray this. And by commanding this, Jesus demonstrated that this prayer is offered to us as a model prayer. That's why I like to call it the model prayer. It's a model rather than a mantra to be recited. One scholar said it this way, it is a guide or general pattern, not a liturgical chant. Hmm. I like to say the model prayer is the how, not the what. So we look at this first phrase in this manner, therefore pray, we see grammatically that pray is an imperative. It means it's a command. So this is the command from Jesus. Teach us how to pray. And here is the command. That tells me something. Prayer is not optional. Okay? I'm not talking about when you're sick or when you just get bad news or, or you know, Jesus come through for me right now. I'm talking about in general, every day, every breath, every time that we feel led to do it, we're prompted by God's Holy Spirit to do it. Praying is not optional. It's a command that comes from God, comes from Jesus right here. And we should take this command seriously. When will we as Christians begin to take all the commands of God seriously? That might change our life a little. It changed my life. I don't know about you. I'd do some things differently. You probably would as well. We should take it seriously. And yet many Christians struggle to do this. You see, prayer must be more than a response to trauma that comes into our life. Now, I'm not, church, I'm not downplaying you're praying for someone who's in the hospital or someone who has cancer or someone who's having a, a relational or a financial struggle. I understand all that. But listen, prayer is a command. It has to be so much more than just praying to God when trauma has entered into our little circle, our world. I didn't think I'd get an amen there. I was hoping I'd get one. Amen. When is it? Too late. <laughs> I better be careful. She can turn my mic off, I think. so. When's a good time to pray? Anytime. Anytime. Subject? Any subject. Setting? Any setting. So, let us begin with this. As we begin to look at the model prayer of Jesus you then pray like this. Well, let's jump in. I don't know if we can do it. Let's tackle the first two words. Our Father. So let's look at our. I, I, I notated it like this. Our, that's the person praying. That's me. That's you. Our. Okay? And I want us to remember something as we think about this. 
We're in this life of following Jesus together. Did you know that? You, you are not out there following Jesus by yourself. In fact, some Christians who try to do that, we have a term for them, don't we? What are they called? Lone Ranger Christians. How does it work out? It never works out well. Why? Because we are in this life of following Jesus together. Look around. Just look around for a minute. There's some tall people, some short people, some ugly. No, I didn't say that. Right? Men and women and teenagers, boys and girls, we are in it together. How can we say that? Because, hey, I, you know, I'm part Greek. You're not. Maybe you're Irish or maybe you're whatever. No, we have all been adopted into the family if we're true believers. Let me illustrate adoption in this way and what has happened in our life. 14-year-old Tice Pender, his name is Tice Pender, of uh, a little town in uh, South Carolina. He started his own lawn mowing business. That's a good idea, isn't it? His mother loaned him $200, and he started, 14 years old, he started his own business. And as of the, the date of the news article that I read, uh, he had mowed nearly 20 lawns, and he had cashed in 400 bucks. Now, it doesn't go as far as it used to, but that's not bad for a 14-year-old just starting out a business, right? That's a nice stack of cash. If we asked our kids today, they would take $400, I think. I really do. Now, he could afford a new video game system. He could afford a new bike and some other things, some great clothes, whatever he wanted to do. But Tice is not saving for games or gadgets or new clothes. He's saving for something far more important. Are you ready? He's saving for his own adoption. What? You see, Tice's stepdad, Eric Jenkins, came into his life when he was two years old. He's 14 now. And Eric has been everything a father could and should be to Tice. And the family's goal uh, from the beginning was at some point Eric would adopt him. Yet the family has struggled on hard times and they have not had the finances to do that. So Tice is earning money to pay for his adoption by Eric. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a little different? Now, this story resonates with me because I'm one of those kids. My stepdad adopted me, and I relate to that, and, and I understand that a little bit. Some of you really understand this because you were adopted from birth or from a certain year, and you came into a new family, a forever family that God gave you. But here's the reason for talking about that. For us as Christians, Jesus has paid the full price for adoption, our adoption, into the family of God. And you must know that when we begin by saying, our, we have been adopted into the family of God. Did you know that? Did you tell anyone this week, hey, I'm adopted? You might have started a good gospel conversation. I don't know, hey, I'm adopted. What do you mean you're adopted? I know your parents are right. I'm adopted by God. Jesus paid the price, the fee for that adoption. Isn't that a great, that's a good conversation starter, right? We should write a little biblical track on that. It's probably been written. Think about that. You see, knowing for us as Christians that Jesus has, has paid in full for our adoption into the family of God, we can confidently go before God and say, our, 
Father. Listen to Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Guess who that is? Us, under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't that amazing when we think about the adoption process? John 1.12, we just shared it a couple weeks ago. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow, we're adopted. Notice something, if you'll go ahead and read through the model prayer again, you will find our, you will find our, you will find our, you see it? You'll even find us in there. Notice there's no my. You see, true faith, our faith is never my-centered, but it's our-centered. That's poor English, but you get the point? True faith in God, living faith, is not my-centered, me-centered. It is our-centered. You see, the word our shifts the emphasis from me to the Father. Our Father. Me. No. It shifts the emphasis to the Father and also to my brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Listen, church, we got to continue loving each other, don't we? Are you okay with that? We got to. When did being right become such a privilege and a right for Christians? I'm over it. I don't know about you. You better be right on the fact that we're all sinners. God is holy. That's a problem. We're separated from God. He sends his rescue plan, Jesus Christ, who comes into the world, God's son, and he lives this perfect, holy life. And then we kill him. He's crucified, and on the third day, he resurrects, never to die again. Resurrects. And he pays the price for sin, and he conquers the grave, and he conquers death, and he conquers hell and Satan, all that kind of stuff. We better get that right. But some of the other stuff, listen, when did it become a right for us to be right? Every time you got to be right, or you got to be right over some other Christian, over something that's nominal, that is not gospel-centric. Okay, you're right. But don't pray our Father. Pray my Father. I know these are hard words for you to hear, but it shifts the emphasis off of me and onto the Father and my brothers and sisters in the kingdom. It implies a repudiation of myself. It stresses community. Prayer should remind us that we are a larger part of the community of believers. This first word in the model prayer demands that we adopt an attitude of self-surrender. You see, I believe the rest of this prayer has no meaning if the hour is not alive and active. Do you see that? Maybe you've never thought about that. And you've prayed this prayer for many years, even decades. We must see where it starts. Our. It's the person praying. 
I can tell some of you are not happy with me right now. But I'm telling you, but Lamar, I've I got to be right. Not always. Or keep it to yourself sometimes. Our community. Community. My hope and dream is that we would reach out into our city. What about you? Into our neighborhoods. Well, let us be people who are adopted into the family of God and we are living together in good community and we are our. Let's be that way. Well, let's look at point number three, our father. So father is the person prayed to. Not the person praying, but capital P, the person prayed to. Father. Just think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. Now here's the problem with the word father. Are you ready? I got a problem with the word father because of my childhood. What about you? If you've been abandoned by your father like I have, it's hard. You have to be a mature Christian and allow the Lord to work in your life so you can get past the word father. Or maybe your father abused you. Or a stepfather, like happened in my family. Or whatever. Maybe he didn't take you to church like other fathers did. We must get past that because this is a priceless, precious word of Scripture that's used many times in Scriptures. And so can we agree today? Can we have an agreement that we would look past earthly father? Because let me just tell you something. I'm the father of four boys. Do you think I failed my sons ever? Right? How many of you never... Now, I'm not going to ask that. Because some of y'all would not raise your hand. You'd be lying. Of course, fathers and mothers, we fail our children. Right? We were failed by our parents. We've got to get past just that idea of father. Okay? It's not discounting trauma or what might have happened in our life. But God can work in our life. So let us move on when we see this. This is the person. This is moving from the person praying to the one, the one Father, our Father. You see, if you are going to pray to God, it is vital that you become a child of God first. Whether I liked it or not, DNA shows that I belong to my biological father, part of that family. I don't know if you knew it. I'm about 25% Greek. Isn't that interesting? Any other Greeks in here? Nobody? Why, hey, I see one hand back there. Praise the Lord. Yes, we discovered America in Galveston, Texas. We did. There's a big Greek community there. You're not aware. You've never seen the Greek Orthodox Church in Galveston. It's something else. So, yes, you see, I'm connected by DNA. I am a child of James Lucas Homer Jr., not who I am now, but DNA would show that, okay? So picture this. If you're going to pray to God, if you're able to say, Our Father, that means you've become a child of God. You're part of the family. How does this happen? This is through God's grace by faith is what it says in Scripture, right? We trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And when this occurs, God becomes your heavenly Father. 
You're a child of his instead of a child of sin. It says nothing about what city or state or even country that you were born in or what family you came from because you can be adopted by God and he can become your heavenly father. So what can we say from this? Our father, father, father. Prayer is a privilege for those who are saved. Prayer is not a privilege for the lost person. I'm going to say something kind of hard here in a minute. And if you're a seeker maybe or you've been thinking about trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, about repenting and running to him, starting to understand that God loved you so much he had this rescue plan for you. If you're not there yet, guess what? Prayer is not a privilege for you. Not for the lost without Christ. Prayer is the privilege of communication between a child and the Father. That'll change how we go to praying, won't it? We might take a little more time, be a little more intentional about it. I want you to see that here. Yes, the unredeemed, those who are not yet saved, those who are lost... They're invited to pray to God, but only when they first come to him for salvation. You see, for the lost person, the only prayer promise for this unsaved person is the promise of salvation when the unsaved person comes to God in repentance of his or her sins. Are you with me on that? Do you see how that works? Remember, God's holy God. Can't have anything to do with sin. So Thanksgiving's coming up. Don't call on your lost uncle to pray over the meal. Unless he's praying to God, help me, I'm a sinner. Come into my life and save me. Yes. Father. We need to be much more serious about, serious about this word. You see, the term father denotes a loving and close relationship with the one who has our best interests at heart. And because God is our father, we do not need to live in fear. We can confidently pray our Father. We can live in the comfort of His love and His concern for us. Remember, whatever Father does for you, earthly Father, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in the middle, get rid of it because Heavenly Father is a totally different thing. He loves us. He has concern for us. He provides not just what's good, but He leads us to what is best in our life. And as our Father, we can boldly bring our prayers, our needs before Him knowing that he loves us and cares about us. Remember verse 8, the end of verse 8 we finished last week? He knows what we need even before we ask, even before we pray. Listen to Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. So when a person genuinely prays our Father, Father, he or she is doing this. I've got a few things here you're going to have to write fast because I'm talking fast, all right? Here's some things that happen. When we say our Father, we're denying humanism, self-sufficiency, and all other gods. We deny all that because we say our Father. Secondly, we are surrendering to the Father of our Lord. Jesus said it over and over again. Thirdly, we are acknowledging the Father of our Lord Jesus to be our own Father. Fourth, we are surrendering something. We are surrendering our independency and we are accepting the Father's family. 
And finally, we are assuming responsibility, our Father, in his family. So using the term Father, I must tell you, remember this best sermon ever. Jesus is blowing, almost every other word, he is blowing the people away. It's like, what? Using the term Father was revolutionary. It was even unparalleled in the time of Jesus. We know it now. We learn our Father who art in heaven. We've learned that. But this was crazy. It's something new that Jesus was teaching the disciples. You see, the writers of the Old Testament, they certainly believed in the fatherhood of God, but they saw it mainly in the terms of sovereign creator father. In fact, God is only referred to as father 14 times in the entire Old Testament, 39 books. And even then, it's referred in a more impersonal way. And in those 14 occurrences of father in the Old Testament, the term was always used with reference to the nation, not to individuals. Hmm. In the New Testament, however, we find Jesus addressing God only as his father. Look it up. He's always addressing God as, it's not, hey, dude, <laughs> it's Father, Father, Father. In fact, in the Gospels, just the Gospels of the New Testament, our Lord refers to God as his Father more than 60 times. We should take note. Jesus is our example. Do you remember the garden when Jesus was praying? One of the greatest prayer uh, scenarios that we can read and study and learn about, he's in the garden. Listen to what he says in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 36. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, what your, your will would be done. So, so God is our Father, and Jesus introduced this Abba, Father. Have you ever looked at that? It's an Aramaic word. We're, when we address God, uh, Abba, some people have said, Daddy, have you heard that before? Uh, others uh, might be a little more closer to dearest father. Not, it doesn't matter to me. Dearest father, daddy, okay? When we say Abba, Father, it's not only an indication of our spiritual health, but it's a mark of the authenticity of our faith. The impulse to call on God as our Father is a sign of what? Being a child of God. Praise God. Again, back to Galatians. Listen to those a couple verses that we read. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through, Christ, through God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Paul's writing and he says, For you have not, been, have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of here it is, of adoption as sons by which we cry out, those who are part of the family of God, Abba, Father. And there, it's got an exclamation point every time. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I would ask that you might meditate on Romans 8, 15, and 16 this week to really get the idea of our Father. The realization that God is your father, the scripture says, it's a primary work of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit keeps developing this spirit of sonship or daughtership in us and is always integrating it into our lives. Hmm. So let me ask the hard question today. Well, Lamar, how can there be a hard question? All you said was, pray like this, our Father. It's not that hard. I got it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you know that you know that you know that God is your Father? Do you? Don't bring me a baptismal certificate. Don't tell me you're a covenant member of Hoffman Down Church. That's not what I asked. Those things are good. Don't tell me about your mom or dad or grandma or grandma. My grandma was prayer warrior, amazing Christian lady. That didn't save me. It's like if I step into my garage, it doesn't make me a car, does it? No. This, listen, do you know that you know that God is your father, that the heavenly father is your father? Do you know that? There's only one way you can know that. And it has nothing to do with even sitting in this room, although I'm very glad that you're sitting in this room. It has everything to do with repenting, running from our life, and running to Jesus and asking for forgiveness, realizing He and He alone can forgive our sins and can save us from our sin and can become the Lord, hear me, the master, the boss, the controller of our lives. Hmm. So I ask you, do you know that God is your Father? Listen, you can pray as many Our Fathers as you want, and it won't matter a bit unless Jesus has saved you. So let me ask you this. Maybe some of you today, a lot of you probably said, yes, I know that I know that he's my Father. Do you think of him and address him as your dearest Father, as your Daddy? Or is he some cosmic slot machine? Let me see what I can get. Or is he some great magical and mystical fix whatever it is that's going on in your life? Listen, he is our dearest father, dad. Now, I mentioned my biological father to you this morning. Some of you are getting sick of me talking about my childhood. Listen, we all have family of origin, right? We're shaped by it. But my dad died two years ago, two Augusts ago. He was my dad, the one who adopted me. He was my daddy. In fact, I used a very, you know, ancient Hebrew word for him. I called him Pops. Anybody? <laughs> right? Dad, you see? These are what? Terms of endearment, right? So Christian, do you think of God that way? Do you address him that way? As dearest father, daddy, dad, Abba, pops. Do you see the difference? But let me close in this way. There's a difference between God the creator and God the father. I feel like I need to share that. Many don't see that. It's not our Father, God the Creator. Is He Creator? Of course. The Trinity, right? The Scripture says Jesus still, still holds what creation together. We're not spinning off into whatever. But there's a difference between God the Creator 
and God the Father. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the writer of the thickest book on the Sermon on the Mount, said this, It is only those true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who can say, Our Father. Let me illustrate this way as we close. It was the summer 1945 and World War II had ended. Now, I had not discovered America yet, folks, okay? I wasn't there, but I do know a little bit of the history. I do know about this war that was to end all wars, right? But it ended, and I'm, I'm a sports fan, so not only were former soldiers, all the former soldiers are coming back home, right? But it included a number of professional athletes, including baseball stars. Are you aware of that? My pop's an all-time favorite baseball player, the Splendid Splinter. Some of you know who that is. Ted Williams. Lost a number of years of playing basketball. Why? He was fighting in World War II, and later he was also flying in Korea. Okay? But these baseball stars are coming back. They're streaming back into America. They're streaming back into American life. And there was a Yankee slugger. I hate to mention the Yankees in a positive way. I see your hand, Paul. But anyway, I'm a Red Sox fan. There was a Yankee slugger named Joe DiMaggio. Okay? Kids, you'll have to look that up. You can look it up. It's got some G's in it. You'll figure it out. All right? Ask Siri. <laughs> so he slipped in. He was trying not to be noticed. He snuck into a mezzanine seat there at Yankee Stadium with his four-year-old son, whose name was Joe Jr. Are you with me so far? He had not rejoined the team. He just wanted to come and experience the ballpark, Right? But before long, a fan noticed him, and then another, and then another, and then throughout the stadium, the people were chanting, and maybe you'll remember this, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. DiMaggio was moved. He gazed down to see if his son had noticed the tribute, and his son had. And Joe Jr. said, see, Daddy, everybody knows me. It's a, one of those kid-dad things that can only happen. But guess what? Joe Jr. was mistaken, wasn't he? It wasn't all about him. It was about his father, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. You see, we can make the same mistake. You see, it's not about us. It's about God, who is our father. Did you hear me? It's not about us. It's about God, who is our Father. I love every time we gather for evangelism prayer meeting. We're, we're not praying about us. We're praying about people with names. It's not about me. I'm praying that they would become children of God. That they someday could pray, our Father. What about you? Don't make it about us. Is it okay to gather with somebody? I do it all the time. Somebody's sick, man, I want to pray over them, right? I want to ask them just this morning. Ask a number of people how they're doing. Why? I'm praying for them because they have sometimes critical health needs, okay? That's not bad, but let's remember it's all about God and not just God the Creator, but God our Father. Are you part of the family? Two families.
You can be part of the family of Adam. That's the family we're all born into. That's the Greek family I was born into, right? The family of Adam. The family of sin, sin nature. Or are you part of the family of God? You see, everyone is born into the family of Adam, but some are reborn into the family of God. I would say to you today, be saved today. Turn to God today. When smarty pants Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, John chapter 3, Nick at night, what did Jesus say? He talked about being born again. It's the same thing as reborn. It's what we mean when we say becoming a Christian. Has there been a time in your life when you acknowledge that God is God, He is the Father, and that we have a sin problem? Have you had that time where you, you know you repented and you turned from all of that and you turned to Him? knowing that he could save you, and he gloriously saved you. Do you remember the day, the time when you were saved? Do you remember? Don't forget it. When we pray, don't forget it. You have a choice today, folks. Those of you online watching, you have a choice today to be part of the family of God or not, to be adopted or not. We must humble ourselves and turn to God and repent, realizing that He is the one who saves. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but it is always good to pray. It's a priority, it's a command. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, can, can you picture that? Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And you know the next verse. So give or cast all your worries, your cares, your anxieties to God. For he cares about you. Let's pray. God, may prayer be more than just a mantra for us or an exercise for us. May we realize that we have been adopted into God's family and that we are community together. And we can pray like this. Our Father knowing that there's an incredible difference and distinction between our Heavenly Father and our earthly Father. So God, help us to see that today. Help us to realize as we, as we pray in our heart, as we think about our Father, that we realize, Jesus, what you have done, what you did on the cross, and when you came out of the tomb, what you have provided for us. May we turn and run to you and ask for forgiveness of sin. God, I pray you would save people today. God, I pray that our prayers would be less my-centered and more our-centered. 
God, when you prompt us to pray, I'm praying today that we would pray. We would not let the busyness of the world get in the way. We would create margins in our life to spend time in prayer with you. Jesus, I thank you when one of your disciples said, teach us how to pray, you immediately responded. So God, touch us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who died for our sins.